Welcome to another edition of Unplug It as we get ready for Friday Night Lights for the first time this season and we enter a fourth consecutive week on top of the AFL ladder, something that probably continues to defy belief really based on whatever expectations were at the start of the year. We answered a very stiff challenge from a, a Carlton side that was keen to bounce back and it was a really pleasing win where just as we'd done against Collingwood the week before, we'd absorbed a stack of pressure and then turned the wheel and whilst Collingwood had got away from us just before we did that, uh, we were able to absorb Carlton, stay with them and then raise the bar, which they couldn't go with late. And it was a really satisfying victory against a team that you do love to beat, obviously, to claim Carlton and Essendon and a narrow loss to Collingwood to have almost completed that trio. But what it does do is obviously underlines our credentials. We look back to last year when we were five and one at the same stage. We played Port Adelaide in the infamous round seven clash in Cairns. We now get them on a Friday night stage in front of a big crowd on our own home ground at Marvel Stadium. The whole thing feels different, including that, and hopefully that is emphasised as we move towards this week. But uh, another reason to be proud, another good, strong, committed, trusting performance from St Kilda, and they move to 5-1, and and at the moment, um, obviously you, you pinch yourself, and St Kilda fans are cautious, but we... We sort of stepped through, very pleased with how it's going. And, and H, um, I want to touch on a question a bit later on from someone on Twitter that asked about when we felt safe. But um, there is a little bit of that in that you, you kind of feel that when we get on top that, much like it was when Ross coached us the first time, that we're probably not going to let that go. Yeah. Well, first of all, welcome back, Pargo. That's that's we should cover it off first. So um, good one to come back. <laughs> always, as we say, always nice mm. to beat Carlton. That's that's. If we win one game a year, that's the one you want. Um, well, we, we've we've now beaten two of the three C's. Yep, Marco. Yes, so, correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just a, I guess, solid performance. The 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 first half we sort of, I don't know, it, we just stayed with them, did what we had to do, had a bit go against us, and the second half thought, no, no, let, let, let's just finish this game off. Let let's take control, play what how we want to play, take the, put them to the sword and go, this is our, our four points. We we want this more than you do. And we could, you could see by the end of the last quarter, the Carlton players were just cooked. They couldn't keep up. The They just dropped off. And it's just one of those games you could, you, you could see it was going to probably change at some point. It, it just had that feeling of we're not doing... I guess that just that last little bit that was going to mean that we were going to get two, three, four, five goals ahead. We we could have maybe put the foot down a little earlier, but I don't know. I think they got it in half time, and I mean, Dermy gave Dermy gave a nice explanation at half time, saying what was probably going to happen, and <laughs> I'll be one hundred ten percent sure that's probably just about what he probably said to him. Because um, yeah, they came out looking a lot stronger, a lot quicker, making better decisions. And yeah, just well, put the foot down and went. So a great win, and yeah, we'll hopefully play four quarters of that next this week. <laughs> and I guess Nick, you never—I was going to say—you never certain that you will turn it around. But I guess on reflection, you look at it and thought, first half, Carlton were on top in clearances, on top in inside 50s. Um, contested. the umpiring had been atrocious to that point. Contested. But we were four points down, and you kind mm. of felt that they can't do much more than that. Mm. We're not playing particularly well. 
and we're only a kick down. You mm. kind of, I don't know, maybe that's a reflection thing, but you kind of thought, well, if we get any level of momentum, then, yeah. That's right. It, it kind of felt like your yeah, Carlton were, were, were rolling. They, they were playing their brand of footy, but we just, we never let them get away from us. Um, you know, and the fact that we were four points down with Steele clearly underdone and not having a huge impact in that first quarter. Uh, Wilkie and Battle probably had their worst games as, as defenders for the footy club. Uh, and Crouch was quiet, you know, compared to his normal standard. Yeah, we were all quiet. And I think that's kind of one of the hallmarks of, of this team is that, you know, we're, we're not reliant on the same players every week as we have been in the past to, to have a blinder. And, um, you know, Steele went into that kind of selfless role and, and took Crips in the second half and, and had an impact that way when he wasn't, you know, winning as much of the ball himself. Um, Crouch continued to go in hard. Wilkie, you know, started to turn it around. Bat- Josh Battle certainly turned it around in the second half. I thought he was fantastic in the second half. Um, and then, like you said, H, just kind of put the foot down and went, hang on, now we're going to play our game. We've played your game for long enough, your shitty kick-to-kick game around halfback <laughs> where you can't get past us. Now we're going to play our game for the next 40 minutes. And and we did that. And, and that was, you know, Jack Sinclair goes in the middle and, and he's the he's the guy to turn it around. And, you know, it was a bunch of players just kind of took that next step and, and decided to, to kind of, you know, for, for want of a better phrase, but stop fucking around with it and just, just go and mm. win the ball and, and win the game. And that's what they did. Yeah, and the proactive coaching, H, as Nick alluded to, it's Sinclair's a little bit down. We're still going okay, but a little bit down. Put him in the middle, uh, get away from the negative attention that he's he's facing. Jack Steele's come back a bit rusty, ball in hand and, and everything like that. Just go and run with Cripps. You can tag him. You've got the body type. So even if you're not playing well, take him out of the game and really good adapting on the run, and that's obviously what you like oh, to absolutely. see. Um, it, it almost seemed like Sinclair's job in the back line wasn't working, wasn't – he didn't have that same role that he normally has in there. It just wasn't wasn't happening. Um, it, it was a real, I guess, up their end was a tall, um, dominated forward line. So just just that running small defender sort of thing just wasn't really happening on the day. So we've seen now, if, hey, we're struggling in the middle. There, there's another move we make. We've now got Mitchie going ruck. We've got Sinclair roving. We could have the quickest midfield in the league. We, we we could absolutely burn teams the way that they do, or what it looks like they can do in the middle there. Um, if if we're finding it the other that thing hard, is not, it's not yeah. just it's it's not just simple like single moves either. It wasn't just Sinclair goes in the middle and steps up. It was Brad Hill steps up at yeah. halftime and and runs the pants off everybody else's. Uh, Wanganine Miller starts delivering the ball off half back. Ryan Byrne stands up. Mm. Ben Patton stands up. Like everybody stood up at that yeah. point. And yeah, like, like you said, it was kind of that that move that we can make of pushing Jack Sinclair. And, and what a luxury yeah. to be able to push. Well, Naz, Naz the probably took and, and the impact. Naz probably took the role that Sinclair was meant to have been That's playing, right. and. Slotted in perfectly. Stocker, Stocker did the same and sort Stocker, of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it just it was it was almost like it wasn't like a a flip. It was almost like a roll. Uh, the players rolled around in position to just just twisted and the and just all changed and clicked. And yeah, it, mm. it's that shows us not not only we're going to have options of players to bring in, we're going to have options of what to do on the day as well. Um, we, we've seen where we've fallen over in previous times has been a player's been down the position. We've looked and gone, who can we replace him with? They're losing a position and, and we've got no one who can go and do that. 
But now we seem to have these multi-position players who are able to do a different role. So it's... it's Yeah, yeah. and the, and the re, re, the reinforcements are starting to come back. Obviously, we'll talk about that later, but, but Billing's very good at, at Sandy. Um, obviously, Bytel, who was given a full game, couldn't have done more. Uh, Isaac Keeler, obviously a fair way away from AFL, but but he came back. We're getting closer with Jones, Caulfield, Webster, King. Um, so obviously, that's creeping a little bit closer. So we'll talk uh, all about that as, as well, but... Yeah, I'm sure a lot of Saints fans, and I was one, you, you sort of belt the chest with pride a little bit when you heard Liam Stocker speaking after the mm. game, and you kind of like, yeah, I could, I could vibe that, and that's great. We obviously, you know, we've seen the passion in Jack Higgins, another lifelong Saint, and, um, you know, credit to a couple of others as well. I thought, I might mention it a little bit later on, but I, I thought the week before against Collingwood that, that Jay Gresham played the worst game I've ever seen from somebody that had played 100 games, like an absolute dead set shocker. Uh, he was much, much better. A lot of energy, crafty around goal. That's what you want. You've, you've got to respond, and, and that's exactly what he did. And, um, you know, I like the progress from guys like Butler, uh, Dan Butler especially, under... Um, under Ross, uh, you know, he ha- he's only scored probably in half the games, maybe three of the six, but uh, that pressure forward that he was in 2020, we're seeing a bit more of that and he's kicking some clutch goals. So, um, you know, credit where it's due on on that front as well. And the best game I reckon Ryan Burns has, has probably ever played, to be honest. He's, he's had a pretty solid year, but uh, only had 20 if you look at the stat sheet, but I thought that was, um, that was as good as we've seen from him. So, um, yeah, there, there was a lot to like about it because the, the week before against Collingwood was a game that in the past we would have lost by six goals. And I reckon the way things were going against us in this game against Carlton, a similar thing would have happened. Um, well, t- well, I mean, we, we might as well rant on it because we've won it because I think everybody was talking about it. But I haven't seen umpiring that bad in a long time. Um, it felt like, uh, I think I put on Facebook that, that Charlie Kerno would be registered as an official charity by now um, based on everything that was happening. But some of those 50-metre penalties, goodness me, the one to Jack Silvani at the start of the third quarter, I'm like, you have got well, to be well, joking. Yeah. And, and then Jack Higgins getting murdered on the halftime siren. Yeah, saw one today. Where well, the, Higgins the, got decapitated mm. twice and, and didn't mm. get a free, let alone a 50. So. Yeah, saw one today yeah. where I can't remember which which players it was, but the, the calling of player, I think it was Dacos, pushed – the Essendon mm. player took the mark, actually pushed him two-handed mm. in the chest, and he fell backwards and landed on the ground. And you're going, well, that's a 50. Nope. Mm. You sort of thinking, well, just... And last yeah. night in the, um, I think it was uh, Morris, uh, yeah, Morris Rioli, um, yeah. Junior cleaned up someone, um, and it wasn't 50. Yeah, yeah, it was a crucial was that, stage. There was yeah. that contest with Mitch Owens. He had full on his arm around yeah. his throat. and I mean, it was mm. just, it was all over the shop. And... and as bad as as bad as our kind of key defenders who have been so reliable were going, like the reality is that they didn't even have to touch Mikhail Kerno. They just mm. had to breathe in their general direction. They'd give away a free kick, and I just it made it made that whole um, concept of defending this forward line so much harder. Um, but I mean, you know, we we won, so we can talk about it. As I said. And it was a quality eight goals that Carlton kicked despite that assistance. So it's always nice. <laughs> well, six six of them from freeze, I think. Yeah. Yeah, free kicks or 50, yeah. That's right. And it's, yeah, um, unbelievable. But uh, I think you're yeah, right. Same thing happened when we played them last year, too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I think you're right, though, about Jay Gresham. I think, we, you know, we all kind of had a bit of a crack at, at Gresh last mm. week. Um, but I think he did bounce back. He had some moments, which you kind of, I think you just have to expect you, you're going to get some bad with the good, but I think you're right. It was probably his best game for the year, Jade Gresham. Um, 
outside of a couple of those moments here you know, that kick off the side of the boot coming down the thing. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was pretty hard to watch. And at that point, you know, I think that was still fairly early in the game. At that point, you're thinking he's gone next week. He's, he's out of the team. Hmm. But he, he turned it around to his credit. He worked hard. He chased. He harassed. He, he ran. Um, and he did some some little things that I guess we haven't been used to seeing Jade Gresham do, which was, was promising. Looking at some votes out of that, I thought something like this might be coming um, one day, obviously, with our, our 10-vote system. And this was probably, in my mind, our most even performance of the year where, you know, there have been times where we've had one or two standouts like Higgins kicking five or Mason Wood against Essendon, um, our defenders last week against Collingwood, that type of thing. But I've actually gone the 10 ones and they're still some hard luck stories. Apologies to um, Gresham, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, real big apologies to, to Owens, who was unbelievable. And an apology even to Membry to a degree. I thought his comeback match was, was pretty solid. But I gave a vote to Sinclair. If anyone was BOG, it was probably him. A vote to Marshall, um, important in the ruck again. Burns, as I said, best game he's played. Crouch, just for his handy touches, didn't get a stack of it, but he's amazing at evading tackles with just one step where he'll turn left or right and you just sort of can't catch him. Mason Wood, I've watched the replay a couple of times and his game gets better each time you watch it. Um, Seb Ross putting together a good year. First votes for me for Dougal Howard. I thought he held up pretty well down back. Vote to Butler, important three goals. Vote to Brad Hill for his creativity and a vote to Jack Steele for negating gating Crips in the second half coming back from injury. So they're my 10 ones. Um, which one of you wants to pick it up? You can go, Nick. Yep. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, similar, pretty similar to you, Parker. I gave an apology to, to Jack Steele just for the job that he did in the second half and taking that role kind of head on, knowing that he was probably a bit underdone and, and struggling a bit um, to kind of keep Crips quiet or not as impactful in the second half was, was a, a massive move and uh, went a huge way, especially early in that third, to, to kind of turning the tide. And like you said, Tim Embry, I think what goes unspoken, I think, is his footy IQ. It's not just his skill and his running ability and the kicking for goal and all that sort of stuff, but his footy IQ to understand where he needs to be and when is is almost second to none, I think, on, on our footy team. Um, maybe Cal Wilkie from a defensive perspective, but Tim Embry from a forward perspective is certainly his, his even in that mark. Uh, I gave two votes to Jack Sinclair. I thought he was clearly the, the best player on the ground, especially in the second half, and, and was another key member of that group that kind of turned the tide. Uh, I have one vote to Mitch Owens, one to Clark, who I thought just keeps keeps growing week on week at the moment. And, um, you know, it looks like a really important part of our, our engine room now. Rowan Marshall, I thought, was very solid. Brad Hill never stopped running. HU and I spoke about this off air earlier. I think you know, the way that he's playing is probably the, the best defensive effort footy of his career for a guy that's been in the system for, for 10 or 11 years and won a best and fairest and won a couple of flags. That's, uh, that's pretty important. Seb Ross, like you said, Darren um, is playing some of his best footy at the moment as well. Dan Butler, Mason Wood and Dougal Howard round out the, the ones. But like you said, such an even performance. It was outside of Jack Sinclair, really hard to find a, a standout for me. Yeah, so it's probably it's probably a good order that we've done that in. Actually, Darren go votes to 10 mm. players. Nick did into nine. I'm getting him to eight. <laughs> so it's, um, <laughs> I, I couldn't split um, Sinclair's second half. And Brad Hill's game, both getting two votes. Um, the, the the one thing that a lot of people won't see from Brad Hill's game that will have watched it at home is the running that he does off the ball. 
the running to get to position, the running to chase someone down. It, he comes from so far away in some situations that the effort he is putting in off the ball is huge. Um, I mean, people, he's had his noggers. He's had people saying he's not up to it. But tell you what, the, the amount of effort he puts into it, it's unbelievable at times. Um, I think it was the one, as I was saying to Nick earlier, the, the, the smother, he attempted smother um, in the last quarter. He, the, play, the ball landed in the player's hand, and when it got into his hand, I think he was about 25 metres away. In the time he turned around and kicked the ball, he almost got to him. He just put the foot down and went. It was, it, it's quite crazy to see it. When you when you're there and just seeing the the, the effort he puts in, so but it was a well deserved. Um, I'm unlucky to only be two votes probably, but as the same as so many this week. Um, so I got, yeah, so two Sinclair and Hill. Uh, then go one to one to Owens, Clark, Marshall, Ross, Butler, and Crouch. Um, many apologies. We're, we've we've put what is it twelve different players in together this week. Um, and yeah, there could have been easily 15, 18 players that could have polled. Um, it's just, just such an even performance across the board. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can have this problem most weeks and that'd be a really good, yeah. a good, good problem to have. That's right. I'm happy with the 10, but I'm disappointed that I didn't give Clark or, or Owens votes yes. um, and even Gresham probably as well. So, um, yeah, it goes to show. And, and you obviously, you want those performances. You need some standouts, obviously, to, to win some of those big games if you get someone with a breakout performance. But, you know, a step in the right direction for memory and, and steel and, and those types of players are a reminder too um, and certainly appreciate our uh, listener numbers of, of recent times. If you are enjoying the podcast as, as much as you're enjoying the season, you can leave us a review um, across our various platforms, iTunes, Facebook, uh, or wherever you listen, uh, Spotify, etc. We've been floating around the top 15 rated podcasts for uh, the categories of sport and, and footy over the course of the year, which is great. We want to keep that going. And we've got all our social content. We're pretty busy on match days, obviously, Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram. So check all of that out. There'll be snippets from these interviews and a lot of the special guests that we, we have on and, and have had on over the journey. And it's a, a nice segue. And we like to tell the stories, certainly, of you know a lot of the, the big-name players and a lot of the, the contributors across the journey and, and tell some stories from players that you might not have he heard from for a little while, and one of those was a, a bit of an early 90s cult hero in Gordon Fode. Here's Dean Gregg, just back on the ground. He's been reported. Off to Robert Harvey. Short pass is good, and Fode marks in front of McCurry. And if Gordon Fode could manage a goal out of this, would this be tough for the Premiers? Well, he fancies this himself, Drew, when he's been in this position earlier in the game. He's had a shot and he's definitely lining up again. He'll make the distance. It'll just be a question of accuracy. He's been a great player today because he's set a few goals up uh, with his physical presence up there. Great lead. He, he hits the ball hard, doesn't he? And worked very, very hard. He is into the breeze, but he kicked his only two goals for the game at this end in the second quarter. The margin at the moment is 19 in favour of St Kilda. Gordon Bode from 49 metres. Being a ball over of huge proportions. 
Well, our next guest on Unplugged for 2023 played 52 games for the Saints between 1988 and 1995. He was an athletic prodigy coming through as a junior and was a part of that strong St Kilda side of the early 90s. Kicked plenty of goals towards the back end of 93. Had a couple of good days against the Bombers, uh, certainly early in 94 as well. And a, a very talented player, very talented athlete. And Gordon Fodas, who I speak of. Gordon, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, guys. Uh, Darren, Aaron and Nick, pleasure to be here. Starting off with that background as a junior, you played a lot of sports. You showed a lot of potential in a lot of different areas. Was it always footy or was there a chance that you might have been pulled in different directions? Oh, look, you're spot on. I mean, when you're a kid, you just obviously want to play as many sports as you can out there and test the grounds. And obviously, I had a lot of uh, coaches at school at St Leonard's College days in East Brighton um, that sort of approached me in different areas um, and just said, come along and have a try at this type of sport. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a great opportunity for me uh, to test different s- sports. Um, I started off doing athletics, uh, tennis and a lot of soccer. Basically, they were the three top sports and then jumped into snow skiing and as you do a bit of golf as you do and um and then this uh funny shaped ball came into my lap about 14 never touched the ball in my life until i i sort of met uh two other skinny blokes under john beveridge recruiting system um and that was robert harvey brad pierce and uh Brett Bowie and, and Jason Daniels in the under-19s in the under-15 development squad back then when Trevor Barker and I think uh, Gary Colling and Daryl Nisbet was the under-19s coach as well. So um, that was the old regime, yeah. <laughs> what was it like What was it like coming through with with those guys? I mean, there's some pretty accomplished players in, in that team and, and you played with some other, some other guys through your kind of junior years um, leading up to your senior debut in, in 88. But what was it like? I guess you said you'd never touched, it, touched the ball until you were 14 or so. What, what was it like kind of learning the game with those guys? Yeah, that's a good question, Nick. A lot of, lot of um, uh, young kids uh, develop late in sport, not necessarily early in sport. So I think my background from soccer, tennis, athletics gave me, as you guys mentioned before, a lot of athletic sports background to, to come into this environment. The only thing was, I didn't know anything about this rules of the game of Aussie rules. So um, it was really um, something new to me. Um, I, I struggled a little bit uh, being a young uh, 14, 15 year old. Um, it was a good environment back then because we had a lot of junior guys um, through John Beveridge recruiting and, and uh, of course, Gary Colling, Daryl Nisbet days. But uh, certainly, um, the transition it, it has was was something that I just had to adapt to slowly. And and you know what, it was more of a culture thing back then. And we we, we tended to learn a lot about um, you know those days in, in in sense of where it is today is 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 pretty much. Um, uh, an environment where you're a young fella coming into an, to, to an older group of men teaching you how to play this game of Aussie rules and and uh, the likes of, you know, like I said, Trevor Barker and Danny Frawley and 
uh, Nicky Winmar and, and, and Lowy and, and, uh, and Nathan Burke, of course. And then you had guys like Joffa Cunningham, Robert Elphingston. Uh, you had guys like uh, Greg Burns um, and, and the likes of all those 80, 80, late 80 players. So it was really good. It was a learning experience. Um, yeah, it just took off from there, I guess. So you've just mentioned John Beveridge, and I guess he's was the catalyst behind getting you to the club. But what was the process that you basically went through with the with him getting into the team and and basically starting a senior career with the club? Well, that's a very good question, Aaron. I had a I had a knock on the door when I was about fourteen at uh, off South Road there when the good old days was uh, zoning areas to to Moorabbin. So I lived only five minutes away off South Road in the Pen Highway. Um, I had a knock on the door and mum answered the door and this gentleman sort of introduced himself. My name's John Beveridge from St Kilda Football Club. And I was sitting on the TV watching a bit of, obviously, sport and my mum never knew nothing about this bloke. <laughs> he's just... <laughs> He's just walked up and introduced himself and said, look, uh, we've got an um, opportunity for your son, Gordon Fogue, to come down and, and uh, do a trial with our under-15 squad. And I guess from there, um, it, it sort of eventuated. But my mother never wanted me to go to the Aussie rules side of things. She hated the game. Um, God bless her. Um, it's one year today she passed away. But she, she's, been, she's been a um, strong backbone of my influence of trying other sports and having a go basically uh, but yeah john john's he was the uh the guy who basically took the tennis racket and the soccer ball out of my hands and my feet and that and the rest is history is it kind of ironic uh, as i understand it i think you would have crossed paths with shane warne in the under 19s as well that obviously you came from a multi-sports background and two of the blokes that you played with one was robert harvey who was a phenomenal cricketer but ended up being a better footballer and shane warne who could play a bit of footy ended up being an unbelievable cricketer what was the experience like with warney uh, back then oh look as as most of the other guys have mentioned um it was it was uh it was he he never he was one of the guys that always wanted to lead like Plugger out of the out of the square, but he he didn't want to run fast. Uh, he had this great um, tenacity, like Plugger, just reading the play where it's coming into the inside fifty. Um, and most of the guys knew exactly what he wanted, and he, he kicked plenty of goals in in opportunities uh, in under nineteens. And uh, Jason Warren was his brother. We're still good mates. Uh, we catch up when we when we see each other or stay in touch uh, on social media. Um, and there was a lot of guys through the Peninsula area, um, you know, that obviously Justin Peck and, and Spider came through later. And, um, yeah, under-19s was pretty pretty powerful group in, in the decades of 87, 88, 89 and 1990. So you had a, f a, a great group of... 10 to 15 players each year that are sort of debuting at a young stage between 18 to 21 or uh, 22, 23 back then, which gave uh, the club an opportunity to see what the gr youth could do uh, in the area. So um, no doubt you've got your, your, uh, your names and players that have come through um, in, in, the, uh, in the areas of which they've played so many games. You made your senior debut in the last round of 88 
What, what are your memories of, of that day? <laughs> yeah, coming off the bench, uh, Daryl Bulldog was my first coach. Um, and I remember coming off the bench at Waverley. Uh, we played Essendon. It was a, it was a real wet, rainy, heavy day. The, the, it, was, it, was a, it was the last round, I think it was round 22. And uh, I picked up this guy on the wing. Uh, and all I do remember, as, as, as I do, I don't remember names, but I remember numbers. So <laughs> uh, I, had, I, had, uh, I had the runner, uh, I think it was Barry Bazenko or, or uh, could have been someone else, I can't remember, run out to me and say, Fody, do you, do, you know do you know where that bloke you're supposed to be playing on is? He's, he's uh, off the wing, he's inside the 50, you've got to keep up with him. And I said, oh, I'm doing my best, uh, but he's swapping over with another player um, which is Mark Harvey, and the and the bloke that I was missing out on was Tim Watson. So <laughs> my first ever player was Timmy, and uh, I, I I actually my first kick of footy was in inside the fifty. Uh, I think it was Rocket Owen. Uh, he spotted me running through off off the flank there and inside the fifty, and went back at a kick. I thought, yeah, this is going sailing through the kick through the ball head over as they normally say. And it's just gone out of bounds on the full, and I've just looked at myself, gone, "That's just not right, Gordon." <laughs> <laughs> Moving to nineteen eighty nine, um, actually play all twenty two matches of this season, but one match stands out to to us that against Footscray, you you, you mm. snag two Brownlow votes, twelve touches, and yeah, not Maj Holton today, but. Tell us the story how you've ended up with those two votes. Well, t- to be honest with you, I was, I was actually sitting on the bench um, that time and, and Barks, Trevor, Trevor was playing down back. Uh, I remember he got collected and whether he got the heavy ball was a really heavy, muddy, rainy day out at Waverley. And, and I remember uh, he got cleaned up uh, really, really badly um, and then they had to get the stretcher out. So then... Um, Obviously, my my uh, call was to get up and uh, replace uh, down the back, full back, back pocket, and I just uh, basically came on and uh, did whatever I had to do to get the keep the ball from going through through the defence. And uh, I guess it was a bad, ugly day. I, I do remember that, but uh, I was very fortunate, lucky to get those two Brownlow votes from the back line. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to I was trying to work out which. Um, which, which forward it was you were actually playing on in the day? Because um, I, I was looking through who their goal kickers <laughs> were in that, and Ryan Royal was their most goal, highest goal kicker at that point. Who, who'd you actually take? Yeah, no, you're spot on. It was, it was Royal, but it was also Dougie Hawkins I was playing on. So Dougie yep. was floating up in the half forward and forward area and inside his 50 arc, and I, uh, I noticed that I got told to pick up him as well. Um, so there was several couple of players, but gee, I'll tell you that was a heavy, dark day out at Waverley, and, and it was a very muddy, heavy, heavy day. With, with the, I reckon the ball was like a brick the way you had to kick it. So uh, it didn't go very far. Your third game of AFL football, arguably St Kilda's most famous win of the eighties, uh, beating Carlton in round two, uh, when Plugger kicks ten on Silvani. We win in the last forty seconds. As a young player who'd only played a couple of games, was that the ultimate sort of 
yeah, this is well VFL footy, but this is AFL footy. This is a packed Moorabbin against a big club. Pluggers going berserk, crowds going nuts. Was that kind of a welcome to footy? Yeah, Darren, you're spot on. Um, look, everyone that remembers that particular uh, year and that particular round, 28, 29,000 packed at, at, at Moorabbin um, and Plugger playing, I think he kicked 11-7 on Silvani, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was just one of those days where we were playing like a, in a grand final against the best of the best of Carlton's side. And, and you did have the royalty of premiership players in in Carlton that day. Um, and the likes of um, uh, Wayne Johnston Dominator, I was playing on pretty much, uh, I was playing on Glascott, I was playing on Fraser Murphy. Um, and then I got, th- those three were sort of changing on me every time. Um yeah, look, it was it was a it was a great game, and and it is one of my favourite all time games to watch. Uh, when I have a chance to show my little daughters uh, the game uh, at Moorabbin, because it mean it meant a lot to us coming back from behind. And I remember the last sixty seconds, the ball goes out of bounds on the back flank, and Jamie Lamb, I think, handballs it across to to uh, it, was, it was Sheldon, and Sheldon hand, gives it across to I think it was uh, Daniels. Daniels. Jack decided to not kick it, but give a 30-meter handball straight to Cuz, and Cuz just just did a nice, nice little uh, eight iron into into Plugger, and the countdown was 43 seconds on the clock, and we're sort of wondering how how long is this game going? And um, yeah, the big fella just just went back, po- poised himself, took a breath, and I think a few of the boys got around him just to let him know there was there was less than a second or two on the clock, and. He's, the goal umpire didn't even move, believe it or not. He just he just looked up straight up. He did, did not move his feet. The goal umpire, and uh, and then the whole crowd just jumped the fence. And uh, those days, you just can't relive those memories. They're they're great memories. I mean, you you were only a young bloke throughout that season, but the club was at six and four after ten weeks that season. Then went on to lose ten straight. Do you are you able to put your finger on kind of what went wrong at that point? Yeah, look, there was obviously uh, in in that in that time we, we had a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of guys that were, were struggling with a few injuries, but we had a lot of a list of great names. And I, you know, when you look at all the names on the list that we had uh, to to go through, um, you'd think we'd be in a top five position, top six position. Um, but yeah, certainly, I, I, everyone knows that there was. It was it was coming to the end of um, and, and and Doc wasn't feeling well. He was sick too. To 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 be fair, I, mean, I remember being a young kid. You know, uh, you know there were the stories that were going around, and 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 we just wanted to just prove to everyone that we're capable of knocking off these uh, top top four, five, six teams on the ladder in '89. Um, but I think Doc just got pretty crook. Things weren't going well in in certain areas on the field and certain areas off the field um but us guys we we we, we stood together um yeah you know, we had each other's backs we always were there for one another and uh, uh th- they were the good times um but certainly yeah it was it was it was hard when you don't have many um and the facilities by the way you know we i think talking to a few of the players and listening to your previous podcasts with a few of the past players, you know, the facilities they've got today compared to what we had was, you know, just totally different. Um, and, and we, and we didn't, we didn't worry about that too much, but you know, we just had to do what we do best. And as I said, you look at the names on the list, you'd think 
by looking at all those great players on the list, you, you, we would have been a good top top eight for sure. Did did you have a sense of those kind of the the differences in the facilities? I mean, we've spoken to a few people about that, but as a player, did you have a sense of the discrepancy between what we had at Moorabbin and our footy club and what you know a Collingwood or a Carlton or an Essendon had? Oh no doubt, Nick. Uh, the, the 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 facilities at other football clubs at that point in time were going into the next phase of the nineteen nineties after eighty nine, and I, I could I, we we all knew that some clubs had better equipment and facilitate facilitate facilities of equipment to to improve on their um, on their uh, games and and their their off season uh, fitness and conditioning and strength um, and weights and things like that. So. Um, yeah, look, we we, we were <laughs> we struggled a little bit, but we 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 uh, modified our our whatever we could do um, in, in fairness to what what it was. And then Ken Sheldon took over after Doc uh, stepped down in '89, and and to to uh, Ken Sheldon's credit, um, and uh, I know that, that for a couple of years there, we we turned it around from the bottom straight up in the in the finals '90, '91, '92. The, the club went straight into the top top four, top five for finals, playoffs and quarters and semis. So, you know, we, we turned it around very quickly and a lot of people forget that in that little era that Ken Sheldon um, and, and the management of the club uh, on and off the field did a great job. Um, and then, of course, later in 93, 94, Stan Elves came in from a skills point of view and, and took over from Kenny Sheldon and then took it all the way through to, to 97 in the grand final. Um, obviously, I was at Hawthorne at, at that uh, the back end when I retired in, at 96, 97. 96, I left 95, St Kilda to go to Hawthorne in 96 centenary for one year. I mean, that was an experience and a journey in itself because you still had the Dunstalls, Chenky, Pritchard, uh, Platins, uh, Gary, uh, I think Langford was in, living in Sydney and, and still turning up to matches. Um, you know, and then you'd, I'd, I'd see the flip side of the coin of, of what a, a, a premiership side with plenty of cups in the cabinet, of course, but but they also had their struggles where they were kept a lot of the 80s players a little bit too late in the 90s. Um, but I had the likes of Angelo Lekas and, and uh, Chris Holland, uh, sorry, Dutchy Holland and um, I think it was uh, D- uh, Crawford as well um, coming through. Um, so, yeah, so it, it was a it was a great experience. So, as we said before, 80, 89 played every game, but then 90, 91, 92, you only managed four games throughout the entire three seasons. Um, you just take speaking about the, I guess, facilities and the, um, well, I guess injury management and that sort of thing. But through that period of time, what were the issues? And do you think with, I guess, the facilities that there are today, do you think you might have got more games in that period? Oh, look, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Aaron, I, I, I know that a lot of guys were in those days training hard on the track and the track used to be just all mud um, and raining. And guys would be going out there doing all sorts of crazy exercises their hamstrings and quads would be sore coming off training midweek, and then you're going into a big game on the weekend. You're very sore. Um, so I, I had problems with my hamstrings, um, off running off um, a lot of issues in that period of a uh, couple of years. Uh, my hamstrings, I think I torn twice. 
Um, and then eventually at the, 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 the period where I got back into the football, uh, thanks to um, Peter Thomas, former physio that I still see today, um, of the club. Um, and Ken Sheldon sat me down and says, all right, this is what we've got to do with you and get yourself sorted because, you know, you've missed a lot of football during this period of time. Um, let's get you back on the field where you belong. So, uh, yeah, I, I went away. I spent about a month uh, doing a lot of court running at Dendy Park and, and uh, outside work. So I moved away from the boys for about four weeks, had a program set for myself, um, and then I came back in a lot stronger, ready for 90, 1993. Obviously, 93, the move forward, um, you kicked four against North early in the year. Plugger would miss a lot of footy mm. that year. There was yourself, Stuart Lowe, Craig O'Brien spent a bit of time forward as well. So it was a different kind of setup. You got, you kicked five goals, nine <laughs> late in the year against Geelong with 14 marks, four against Sydney, five against Essendon the following year. It did seem to agree with you that that move forward and, and give you a bit of a, a new lease on life. Yes, look, certainly, uh, Darren, coming off the back of halfback flank and then moving I think uh, Stan gave me the opportunity as well as Ken Sheldon to look at um, a, a three, four-prong attack. So there was Plago, myself, Craig O'Brien, uh, Spider, Everett, and um, and Lowy. Um, and we'd, we'd sort of circulate and make a, a prong attack where we'd take a little bit of pressure off, you know, Plugger, and then suddenly um, Spider or Lowy or myself or Obi, Craig O'Brien would sort of, you know, have more options of play and then suddenly we bring back plugger in the play so it gave the opposition um a bit of a hand a bit of a mixture of handful of tactical um i guess moves from the coaching point of view um playing forward and yeah it, it did give me a lot of um opportunity um uh, you know I don't, I don't mind playing a back line defense has been most of my most of my life um where i began football um but up forward, it's great. You know, you you got to turn the thing around sometimes. You got to think of a outside the square, and sometimes think that you're not just a forward player, but you're also a defence player to keep the ball inside that uh, inside that fifty as well. We spoke earlier about the the famous game in '89 against Carlton uh, Moorabbin, but '93 saw another very famous game. We've just had the the 30 year anniversary of uh, Vic Park against Collingwood. You kicked four points. For the game, what are your memories of, of that day at at, uh, at Vic Park? Yeah, look, I, <laughs> Nick, that was one of the toughest games I've ever come off a field. Um, my my body was bruised, um, you know, playing on playing. I think it was on Craig Kelly and uh, can't remember the other gentleman's name, but yeah, certainly uh, from the from the bounce at Victoria Park, it was on. We uh, we couldn't hear anyone, couldn't hear our cheese cheer squad. Um, it was hard. It was really hard. It was just us against them. Um, and yeah, it was a great game. Uh, you know, Gilbert, McAdam, Nicky, um, Dean Gregg. Um, I know, I know Spud, Spud set the scene actually, um, in terms of, uh, coming out of these, uh, knocking out Christian, Christensen, I think it might, might've been. And, uh, that set the scene a little bit more, um, and we, we just sort of it was just grinding grinding away every quarter. I think I think the most thing that I can remember is that our tackles was very high, forty five plus, you know, forty six whatever it was uh, in total. 
Um, and and Kenny Sheldon just wanted us to just put our foot down and say, look, we're not leaving this ground until uh, we come home with the chocolates. So it was it was a matter of just getting getting the job done and going home straight away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that- Another game that just jumps out occasionally that we, we'd, we'd see the replay come up pretty often, um, up in Sydney, the game that was on Mother's Day, um, I, I do remember that being asked <laughs> about and um, I guess it got to the point of three-quarter time and thought, okay, we're not going to watch the end of this and get home and realise we've won. That, that, what, was, what was the messaging that you got, I guess, at three-quarter time and... And was there still some sort of belief that well, we can still win this game? And and or did Tony just go, just kick it to me? <laughs> yeah, no, Aaron, that that was a uh, amazing uh, quarter and, and a bit. Where I think yeah, fifty eight points down, going from the back end of the third quarter into the last quarter, and uh, yeah, look, body language, some of the players, we, we thought we were totally gone, um, and then we just got into a huddle. Uh, and I remember a few words were said and, 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 uh, the word that came out was pride. Just lift yourself, give, give something. If, if the better team's playing than you, that's fine, but you've got to give some sort of effort and, and, and have some pride. So, um, <laughs> I think after that, we didn't have to worry about it because all we wanted to do, like you said, was kick it down to Plugger and, and he'd, he'd basically do the rest, which he did. And Dean Gregg, to his credit, and... I think Berkey and a few others in the middle halves, um, they were getting the ball out really well. And I think there was a couple other young blokes that were playing that day as well. Looking, obviously you mentioned your career where you went to uh, Hawthorne briefly at, at the end of that journey. Then you went and played a bit of soccer and um, obviously dabbled in, in some of those other sports as well. When we had events like a few weeks ago against Essendon at the MCG where a lot of the past players come back for the 150th celebration, how does it make you feel, I guess, as a player who's written a chapter in the, the career of a, a football club that's that old with that passionate a supporter base, with that many great players and that many great stories to be able to sit there with 70,000 at the MCG and share some of those stories with those sorts of guys and, and reflect on the fact that you were a part of it? Oh, look, Darren, it's one of the best things the club has ever done. Um, the the organisation build up for that particular uh, day um, and, and just the fact that we are very honoured as past players to be closer to the club. I think the club's opened up now and got more past players on board. Uh, with today's players and the, and the facilities of the club, Danny Frawley Centre and everything else that's been built by the club. And, 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 and uh, I think they've done a wonderful job. And, and that day uh, means a lot to all of the past players. Um, we're just very honoured and, um, and privileged to be putting on the red, white and black. Um, and whether you've played one game or whether you've played 400, doesn't matter. I think what, what we sort of got out of it was that uh, it was great to see smiling faces from uh, Anita Frawley, Chelsea Frawley there alongside um, guys that I played along with, uh, Damien Shaw, for example, that came also from St. Leonard's College. He was a year below me. Below me, And, and um, Danny Craven came down from uh, Queensland. And, uh, you know, so it was great to see everyone there. And, and we, uh, it was a great day, for, especially having a win on the day as well. 
I want to go back to a period that you, that you were out. We kind of touched on that that period that you missed a lot of footy with injury. But the 1991 finals run, uh, obviously kind of drought-breaking finals appearance, you know, the first time in many, many years. But what was it like watching that from the sidelines in, in the rehab group? Oh, look, uh, it was buzzing. Um, I remember, uh, you know, first the, the second first time that we, we looked at each other and said, well, you know, we, we, we're playing finals football here, guys. We're not packing up, going on holidays, thinking about where we're going at, at the end of season football trip. <laughs> um, it, it was one of those things where, you know, we can we can take on West Coast, we can take on Collingwood, we can take on Essendon or Hawthorne and, um, and the likes of all the other teams. And I think, um, like you said, it, it, it was a journey of um, looking at how... The transition, we've we've come from the bottom, and then move move to play top teams in 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 nineteen ninety one and ninety two. Now, a lot of people probably wouldn't realise that. Yeah, at, you retired at twenty seven, but then you had an attempt at a comeback at a, a different sport. Uh, what's what's the story about your attempt at going back to soccer and uh, as, as I've read, your father played in the the national league. Um, going back before when you were younger, but uh, what led to you deciding to try to give that a shot? Oh, look, Aaron, I, I sort of looked at two things. One was uh, where I am at uh, being, yeah, sure, I could have played an extra five years of my life of, with uh, AFL. Um, the old man came to me and actually he proposed a uh, little proposal in work and we decided to go importing food and wine and beverage uh, at the same time, uh, Dad had a delicatessen at South Melbourne Market. So that was around the 95, 96 mark. Um, and I finished up at 96 at the back end with Hawthorne. And he just came to me and says, all right, what do you want to do? I'm going overseas to see these suppliers. You can you can do the sales and managing accounts. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, set up this little wholesale importing business. Uh, in the meantime... He said, if you still want to play a sport, um, come down to Como Park in South Yarra and play with us little us boys on a Sunday for a couple of hours and the little goals as they do. And then they have a barbecue and a few beers and, and, and have a barbecue later. From there, it, it eventuated and someone spoke and said, uh, your son's got a bit of, bit of talent with the round ball still. Why don't you get him to go down to Melbourne Knights or Chelsea Haydook. Funny that. Then uh, next day, phone rings. You're down there. You're, you're you're mucking around with this round ball now, and these guys looking at you, going, "Didn't you just come out of AFL football?" And I said, "Yeah." And they turn around, and say, well, "What are you doing here?" He goes, "Well, this is the game I got bought, brought up on when I was five or six. So I said, "Look, I'm just here to have a crack um, and see where it takes me." So I trained. Melbourne Knights for about three months off season um, and then came back and played with Chelsea Haydook at the time. Vlado Varnish, I think, rang me up and said, come down and I want you in the team. And uh, the boys from there, it was just a bit of fun and a bit of uh, exercise. So, yeah. The final one from, from me, it's, it's funny, small world. Depends if you can trust Wikipedia with this stuff as well, but the first time I've actually read this particular story. But one of the other... Uh, famous names at St Kilda that was there a few weeks ago at the MCG was Neil Roberts. Now, 
as I, you, you mentioned that your mum couldn't stand footy. <laughs> she was a very good swimmer, but she was coached by Neil Roberts. Is that right? For a period? That is correct, Darren. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, mum, mum was up there in Fitzroy area uh, as a young girl in school, uh, Northcote area or Fitzroy, and her PE swim te- swim, swimming coach was Neil Roberts. And mum, mum was a great <laughs> diver and a, and a backstroke uh, backstroke swimmer, and she won a lot of um, a lot of her uh, championships for school. And uh, Neil, uh, I spoke to him about that the other day, actually, and he we'd never <laughs> spoke of it. Um, and he and he, I shared the story, and he appreciated it. So yeah, it was a small world. So yeah, and and just going back on what Aaron said about my father, um, yeah, dad. Mark, my father, was a goalkeeper for Footscray just in South Melbourne at the NSL days, which is obviously A-League today. Um, and I, I went down to the South Melbourne club the other day to watch some of the girls play. And I bumped into a gentleman who Dad played with. He was a legend down there. His name's Jimmy Armstrong. And he turned around to me and says, do you know that your father still holds the record in the NSL, which is the A-League today? I said, no, Jimmy, tell me. What, what, what's the record? He goes, as a goalkeeper, your father has kept a clean sheet for 11 games in a row, not one ball in the back of the net. And uh, at that time, I think it was the late 60s, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73 era, they won like four or five championship, Doherty Championship Cups in Olympic Olympic Park and a few other places. And uh, he shared some stories with me. So I thought that was that was nice. <laughs> So, Gordon, the, the important question now on, on the topic of soccer, are you victory or city? What side <laughs> of Melbourne are you on? <laughs> oh, Nick, look, I, I support all clubs. I'm not, I'm not one, I'm not a, I, I, honestly, I, I, I support all the, I even support uh, Western United uh, have come a long way with what they've done with the women uh, new team and also the, uh, the senior team with Aloisi being the coach of last year's premiership. Um, look, We've got a great opportunity to see some, I'll showcase the World Cups coming in Australia, boys, and it's the women. Yep. So you're going you're gonna to actually see a lot of great talent around the world coming to Australia uh, this, this June, July, I think it is, uh, that, that's, that all the games that are actually being played all around Australia. So I think it's a great opportunity, not only for um the game itself but also for women and girls to get excited about uh another code of sport which is worldwide um and and it'll attract revenue or attract business and everything else so it's a it's a huge huge thing to host a world cup sport sneaky chance to win it too they're, they're a very good side our women so. yeah they are darren i've got a few connections with a few friends of mine with the matildas um my daughter's currently captain uh, playing NPL at Bayside United where Bentley Greens is. She's in the under-15 development squad, um, her, Amelia, and she's enjoying it at the moment. Um, she met a few girls that are now playing senior level um, and she's just enjoying the ride, enjoying the journey at the moment. Now, we've got one question we're throwing at everyone that comes on this year with the 150th year. <laughs> As a moment, you've probably already touched on it today, being the on the game with player kicking the winning goal and that sort of thing. But to throw it at you in the way of what is the Segunda Football Club to you? What what does it mean to you? Just as 
a person, as the pl- as a player, as even a supporter now? Oh, look, uh, it's on the crest of the logo, really. It's the strength, loyalty, and and uh, and and uh, you know the 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 passion that the club has within the people, the fans, the membership. Um, you, you wear you wear the red, white, and black um, for a reason. Uh, you, you know, you you run out there um, and you give it all, hundred and ten percent, and that's all you can do. And 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 you play, you play for one another. Um, you know, when when you like the guys are playing right now, I can sense it that they're playing for one another. They're very, it's a unified, bonding group of players that are playing under Ross Lyon, Danny, uh, sorry, uh, Robert Harvey, um, and and the likes of the rest of the past players that are coaching at the moment. So, um, yeah. Aaron, it's 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 um, it's strength and loyalty and passion for for the club. Um, and as I said to you guys, one one game or four hundred doesn't matter. You're, you're part of you're part of the journey. You're part of the club. Well, Gordon, you played some very good footy for the Saints, and we appreciate uh, you sharing some stories along the way. And uh, you've been a um, a terrific guest, and, and we wish you well with everything going forward. No worries, Darren, Nick, and Aaron. Thanks very much for having me. Gordon Farad, who played some excellent games um, that I remember as a young supporter. The, the game against Essendon in early 94 was was one of those. So uh, it's interesting. Before we get to some of the listener questions, we'll, we'll segue into the Port Adelaide clash. Now, obviously, every St Kilda supporter would be aware of the bogey nature of, of Port Adelaide for us. And last year was a, a clear example of that, where we got beaten by them in Cairns, kicked four goals, 18 Obviously, we get them at Marvel now. It's a five-day break. I mean, they've got a six-day break uh, traveling interstate and some injuries, losing guys like Marshall and, and Farrell and Georgiades, who has hurt us a bit in the past, got injured in the twos, so he obviously can't come in. They might get Charlie Dixon back, but us it, it is a real... Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a real... Uh, yeah, he got suspended, but it, it's a real... Um, not sliding doors moment, but you, you almost get confronted with the same scenario from last year. We kept saying last year, geez, I wish we had that game at Marvel um, with all the momentum that we had and should have won it anyway, but here we are. We, we've got them at Marvel. It's a Friday night. We've been screaming out for that. We're on top of the ladder. Got all of the momentum. I think we've got North Melbourne and Hawthorne in the weeks following that so we can really get on a roll um, with a match like this. And and it, it feels different and it feels like we're obviously ready to, to take that opportunity but I think anyone who's played sport you you often feel that when you shake those bogeys it means that you you're in for a, a good year um, I remember playing football back in the day for, for those familiar with Gippsland we never used to beat Thorpedale who were never that good my side uh, Hill ends just couldn't beat them for particularly up there for for any reason at all um, and then there was one year where we'd won three or four in a row and then played them at their ground and beat them by 10 goals in the rain. And I remember us all thinking, oh, shit, I think we're all right. And I don't know if anyone remembers, I think we're watching it together, a lot of us, in 09, the Anzac Eve clash where we played Port Adelaide in round five. Uh, that was at Footy Park. I reckon we were watching it at, like, the London Tavern or something like that. <laughs> um, right. And we gave them an absolute pasting. And I remember thinking, shit, um, if we're doing that, then we're fed income. Mm. So I think this is one of those ones where if you just say, I don't give a shit about bogey sides, I don't give a shit about bad history, we beat Port by seven goals, then, you know, that that's a bit of an indication that we're all right. I mean, they're in reasonable form. Mm. 
but they're not in super form despite the fact they've won three in a row. So, um, yeah, it's it's there for us, and it's a chance for us to say bogeys don't mean yeah. shit. Just just before I do head to the game Friday, it is in Marvel, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a rarity that one. So, um, but as you're saying, yeah, if that if that game had been in there last year. We may have had a completely different season. Something something happened that night mm. that just changed us. And I mean, one Hunter Clark was a big thing. It seemed to be they they knocked him out and knocked the wind out of us. And the game just changed from. Oh, I think I'm thinking about the game in there. Or is that the Adelaide game I was thinking of? Either way, they're all disasters. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah there was something in that, there was something in that yeah. game that it was it just changed the whole momentum, the whole game, and. We, I think we kicked 14 points in a row yeah, at one stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But basically, we, we felt in control. Yeah. And then, I, yeah, the clerk was against Adelaide now, I remember. But, yeah, um, we felt in control that night still. And all of a sudden, Robbie Gray's fighting space. And they, they, the ground just opened up and they found they were hitting targets. But if we got it back, we wouldn't hit a target. We'd kick it straight back to them again. And, and it, things that weren't happening earlier in the game, um, we, it just didn't feel right in, as soon as we came out in the second half. And as we know, yeah, it just all fell over. And uh, we we just I, – I, st- I still can't forgive Google for uh, Dougal for not running up to Robbie Gray and – just, just giving him that space. It, was, it's, yeah, like, it wasn't it, a time that, to peel that's off. The, that's, that's the sure. part of the game that is burnt in, in my mind. <laughs> that if he just goes up and spoils that, that, or meets him, he's got to kick around him. He's got to. So, yeah, it's lesson that is to be learnt there, and we now have him in our home ground, and hopefully, we can look at it and go, "That's that's." Let's let's make it our ground. Let's make it our home. Let let's get this win this time and follow on from what we have started. Let's not let this year. First slip. time H since I was gonna say first time H since two thousand and thirteen that we've played them at Marvel with a crowd. We mm. obviously played them two years ago at Marvel, but in front of no one. So first time in a decade we have a home game against Port Adelaide in front of our own supporters. Mm. Yep. As I said, I just wanted to double check. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, talk about some of the, the those names that are out for Port and, and mm. yeah, I think it would be easy for us to kind of go, hang on, this, this should be a, an easy game for us to win with, with those guys out. But there's still a fair amount of talent on that Port squad. I mean, Especially in the middle. Yeah. yeah, look at some of those guys mm. like Connor Rosie and obviously Travis Spokes, a superstar. Um, Darcy Byrne-Jones is, is quite Ollie Wines. Ollie Wines, yeah. um, Dersma. Um, you know, there, there's a bunch of them. Aliyah Aliyah is, you know, their version of Cal Wilkie. Um, you know, there's plenty of talent on that on that port team, but if if we hit our straps, then I'm not sure that they can keep up with us in in a number of ways. And we've spoken about um, H, kind of our defensive abilities and teams not not kicking more than 60 points or, or whatever it is, eight goals against us, ten goals against us. Um, you know, I think we average 59 and a half points scored against, which is very very low. Um, but even even things like some of the changes that we've seen over the course of this year, you know, going from last or close to last in the way that we move the ball to, to ranked first in ball movement, um, moving from defense to, to offense, um, scoring from turnovers, you know, a bunch of bunch of these things that are so important that we just haven't been good at for, for a period of time. And, and then you add in, you know, kind of, I guess that 
um, solidness, the accountability, the, the understanding of what everyone's role is and, and the structure and, and all those types of things that we've spoken about over the last month or so that, that Ross has brought in. Um, you know, if we, if we play our game, then, you know, we can beat pretty much anyone at the moment. Yeah, and, and I think even today, watching the Anzac Day game, um, it almost gave a little bit more confidence out of the Collingwood mm. game because their modus operandi has been to just run run teams off their feet. Um, did it all of last year and all of this year, and it's why they keep coming from behind. It's just they run all day. They're, they're probably the best team in the comp, un- unfortunately. But it was us that was outrunning them late, um, which is reinforcement that what we're doing is actually working. I know we didn't quite get them, but... Today certainly didn't dampen, the, I guess, the thoughts coming out of that. But interesting, H, in the selection point because um, most of the midfield's in form. But look, Billings played the first three quarters. So 22 possessions and three goals. Didn't play the last. Now, five-day break for out of Sandy into St Kilda. So I don't, I don't know whether it's managed minutes and he was only ever going to play three quarters or it was three quarters, hold him over in the event that you're going to use him on Friday night. Uh, Bytel, 39 touches, nine clearances, couldn't have done much more um, at that level. But again, whose spot does he take? Does he go back in as the sub in place of Windhager? Does does Windhager hold on to that spot? Is Billings the sub? Um, It's interesting which way. You'd think it's one of those three players that probably gets it. Um, In terms of vulnerable midfielders, you would have thought Burns, but he played, as I said, I think his best game. Gresham did enough to to stay in the lineup, so it's a it's a tricky one all round. Keep an eye on uh, Paris as well. We briefly spoke to him last year when we had a chat to his mum. He's going really well at, at Sandy. Obviously, our small forwards are in pretty good form, but if they weren't or one of them got injured, he wouldn't be a million miles away. He's been named emergency repeatedly, um, so that's an interesting one as well. But but H, do you envisage any change and or any change to the sub? Either? Oh, you, you wouldn't think so. You. you... Don't look at anyone mm. sort of on the weekend and think they've done anything wrong to be dropped. Mm. Um, it, it would come down to a matchup thing or a player maybe not coming up this week. Might have, someone might be feeling a bit sore. I mean, how do we? Has, how has Jack pulled up? Is is he pulled up well? Is this? Um, is he ready to go again after only five days? Because I mean, we've heard people saying that they've had that injury and couldn't do anything for three months. So it's whether he's managed this week and to give him next the week after or I, I don't see much more happening apart from that. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, Bytel would be unlucky to, to not be getting a game, putting out those numbers, but at the same time, it is a step up. Um, he was going all right before he has gone back to the VFL, but it's just that we don't want to break that, I guess, the the, the momentum we've got with that group that's in there at the moment. I mean, Windhager was the sub, but he's come on and he did a few good things. Um, if you spread that time out that he actually played and went over an entire game, he probably has a pretty good game. Um, so it's a, anyone that does get dropped this week is... Very unlucky, but um, before this week, Gresham was probably the number one on the chopping block. Um, he's, he's probably given himself some time now, um, but he's probably still only that one bad game away from having a spell. So unless there's a managed, someone managed this week, I don't really see much happening. 
There, there might be some. I mean, Windhager, Windhager out to go and play a full game and get some get some miles in mm. the legs could be an option. I mean, we spoke about kind of game time off air H um, just before we we started recording. But you know, at the Collingwood game, he played fifty six percent game time or something, and then came on the sub uh, last week and only played kind of the the, the last quarter. Um, does someone like him, who's a young kid developing and, and growing his his game, need to get some miles in his legs? Like, does he mm. need he I think, in in my opinion, and, and I'm no expert, I'm no Ross Lyon, but does he need um, kind of time to, to to work his way into a game to to kind of play full games in a row and then come back into the into the seniors? Possibly, yeah. I mean, he was flying in the preseason, mm. and then obviously got injured in the first minute of that Essendon practice match, and just hasn't quite been able to hit those straps again. It, it's interesting because he's he's almost an ideal sub in that he, um, he he's a good runner. He can tag and he can win clearances. So at various points, H is he's influential. But yeah, I don't know whether he just needs the confidence of getting thirty five and a bit. Yeah, to add to that, the Sandy don't actually play this week, so um, there's there's I guess an issue um, that we I guess can't push anyone back to have a go. But um, yeah, anyone we do drop will actually miss out a game this week. So. You do get dropped. You're actually gonna, anyone, gonna find it hard to. Does anyone know why Cooper Sharman didn't play last week at all? I think it was held over. I think as he emergency. was one of the holdovers for yeah. us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I thought, given Sandy played on the morning of St Kilda, I thought if they knew early enough, they could have played him. But there must have been some doubt very mm. late. Um, we had a feeling there might have been yeah, a change I, when we heard that he didn't play. Um, but mm. yeah, nothing sort of eventuated. Might have, I mean. He's not really a replacement for Steel, unless Windhager was the one that was going to come in for Steel, and he then became the sub or something. But otherwise, it's probably only memory, maybe. possibly as well. Yeah, but I think, think he was that, pretty well that, ready to go. So, yeah, didn't even have any strapping on, from what I could tell. No. So it looked to be in, in pretty good nick for for that. So, um, we'll look to some of the listener questions very shortly, and and give some final thoughts on that game, but. The awards, which are uh, the Shannon Noel Award, of course, the Jason Blake Award, um, and that's so St Kilda, which is obviously less of. Probably that's so St Kilda would be um, Anthony Caminiti's public execution um, <laughs> last week. I know we probably got a slightly good result at the tribunal with the three weeks, but um, I think people wanted him tried in court for attempted murder. Um, it was probably a little bit over the top, but... Um, Anyway, that, that's probably one, but uh, difficult to, to find. I mean, the Jason Blake Award is actually probably quite easy, but difficult with um, certainly with the, the Shannon Noll Award. For the Jason Blake Award, I'm probably leaning towards Liam Stocker, um, doing a pretty good job for us every week, as are most of them, to be honest. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people talking on the... Um, on the socials about whether he would keep his spot when everybody comes back, I would think absolutely in terms of versatility and, and yep. ball use. And yeah, I think he's a heart and soul player as is evidenced by the fact that he's always loved the joint. So um, yeah, he gets it for mine. Nick, do you have one? Um, I wanted to give some credit to, to Dougal Howard. I think I've, I've given Liam Stocker enough credit the last couple of weeks. Um, I want to give some credit to Dougal Howard. I think that he now, I mean, he came over as, you know, I guess a, a big money signing, big name signing, um, you know, in, the, in that trade from Port a couple of years ago, and probably hasn't always lived up to some of those expectations. I know that there's some um, obvious, 
regular doubts around some of his ball use and decision making and all that sort of stuff. But in that first half, when when Battle and Wilkie were really struggling uh, on Saturday afternoon evening, I thought that Dougal Howard really stood up and and took some of that took some of that slack off off those two blokes that we we expect so much from week after week. And um, I thought that was his best game in quite a while from from Dougal Howard. And I just thought it was worth giving him a, a bit of a shout out. No, I put him in the votes uh, earlier, but just wanted to um, I guess give him a bit of credit uh, in that he's obviously working hard. He's doing the right things. Um, I mean, he's in the team and you know that Ross won't hesitate to make changes if players aren't playing their roles, but um, he, he, you know, he's doing a job and um, you know, last week was the best game I've seen Dool Howard play in, in quite a while. Yeah. For a, for a bloke that can't put a shoe on, he goes, all right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Not a bad kick with the yeah, song. It was pretty good. Like, best, best kick yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, maybe he's just played that way, but yeah. Um, yeah. Stockard's a good one too, but yeah, just just someone we didn't expect to get anything from. Just he was just going to turn up and be a, a number, I guess. Um, Cordy, he, he has provided us a lot more mm. than we mm. ever imagined. Um, I mean, I'd known that from people down the down the Bulldogs that. He was a great team guy. He always puts in the effort, always 110%. And we, we've seen it. We've seen exactly what I was told he would be like. Um, and just he, he's one of those unfortunate ones who's going to miss out when we have everyone back. Mm. Um, but the gap he has filled has, has been amazing. He, he has given us so much more than we really expected. So great pickup. When when the service is over, we've really got to let him know that he's still part of the team. I think, mm, and and I think just on that, it's not just the I think the role that he's playing, but but also the leadership that he's brought. You mm. know, the, with with Jack Steele missing time, with Tim Emery missing time, um, you know, it's been really important that that we've had someone kind of step up uh, in the forward line to be that leader. And and you know, with the little blokes around playing some pretty good footy, um, obviously Caminiti coming through, no Max King as well. I think that that. Um, Cordy's leadership, he doesn't get a ton of the ball. He, he makes it count when he does. You know, he takes the mark, he generally doesn't miss. Um, he, he's he's kicked some clutch goals for us in the first kind of six weeks of of mm. the season. But right. from a leadership mm. perspective in, in terms of you know, how, how we structure up um, kind of on-ground communication and all that type of stuff, he's been super important. Mm. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, he's unsung as you say that the days in the lineup are, are probably numbered with with max king and those sorts of things but you couldn't have asked much more for a guy that's lived in defense to have to do that playing on some pretty good fullbacks over the over the way um you know competing against people like darcy moore last week and the and the like so um absolutely a full credit there uh the shannon Noll award or you've got a lift um probably a a harsh call because he improved significantly as the game went along. Every now and then, you get this sometimes with players that are good kicks. Um, they either bite off more than they can chew or they get almost a bit lazy in the sense that they trust their kicking too much. And uh, Wanganee Miller, a very good player, um, every now and then he's a lazy sort of lean-back kick, thinking, oh, I'll just lace targets out all the time. I'll just float this one across defence. And turns a couple over every now and then. Um, obviously, the one to Harry Mackay, who kicked it straight up in the air um, from the subsequent turnover. 
But, yeah, I'd just say to Nash, you are a very good kick, but just concentrate and make sure you execute those because he makes a lot of mistakes for, for someone that kicks the ball pretty well. Yeah, it was, I think it was actually who I gave it to last week and I reckon he improved mm. on what um, – uh, mm. From last week to this week, I reckon. So, um, I've been sort sort of been told I've been bringing players back into form with this. So, um, <laughs> I don't know, it, it's it's a real tough one this week. As we're saying, every player really put in in the mm. week gone. Um, it, it's picking the player, I guess, who maybe didn't do their, I guess, the best they could on the day, but. I mean, I could I could only go get back to Gresh and that kick. That it, it's that was just a case of trying to be too clever. That apart from apart from that, his day was brilliant. Let's just get rid of that. The get get rid of that Gresh. That's that that's you've got yourself back into the team. You've got yourself looking good. I mean, you do that, but then you get that kick on the other wing on the other side uh, pretty much out of nothing that lands between three of our players out in the open that leads to another goal um yeah but let, let, let's just get rid of those little little fancy things and make sure of it i'm going to be slightly harsh i'm going to give it to marcus windhager for all those reasons that we touched on uh, a little bit early in that he was flying in preseason. I mean, he was the player to watch. He was the guy that was going to come out and have a breakout season. Um, and, and for various reasons, not necessarily his fault, obviously that, that hand injury in the, in the practice game uh, really threw his, his um, you know, preseason off in the start of the season. Um, but, you know, we know what he can do. We, we've got high expectations of, of this kid. And um, I think that he's kind of on the periphery of – you know, that group that's that's you know borderline being dropped and, and in the past it's Bytel and Burns and Patton and and those kind of guys and and Windhager there's a little bit of a fear that Windhager could find himself in a group like that this season if he continues only being able to put up a quarter here and you know, going back to the twos for a week or whatever it is. But um, we all know what he can do and we just want to see it for a sustained period because you know, I think he can be he can be a really important player and, and has the potential to be a, a star in future. Yeah, I think that's a, um, a perfectly reasonable call that he's, he's just at a, not at crossroads, but just got to re-establish his position uh, as it stands, which plenty of others have done over the journey. Some listener questions before we wrap things up. Mentioned right off the top, uh, damn Daniel, you fly, uh, says, at what point did you all think the Saints were over the line against Carlton? I guess it's easy on reflection. I thought when Owens kicked the goal from 60, you thought, well, it's probably hard to see them getting back from that, but... You work out the equation and, you know, the way we defend. Probably when it was under 10 minutes, you got sort of eight or nine minutes to go and you're still four goals up. You're probably thinking, I just... And they looked pretty tired. They were kicking the ball out in the full and things like that. It it didn't look like they had anywhere near the run to, to trouble us. But I guess you're always nervous. Did, where did you guys think it was done? My, my brother went to give me a high five or shake my hand. We had about 75 seconds to go and I refused until there was 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, I think just been... I mean, we've been burnt so many times. Mm. Um, that it's just, I know this is a different team and, and all those things that mm. you know, but the scars mm. are still there. And so yeah. it's kind of hard to, like you said, watching <laughs> the replay on, on reflection, it was a fair bit earlier than that, that the game was over. But uh, mm. yeah, it was, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of, you know, bring together those feelings and kind of 
watch the last few minutes in confidence or in peace, knowing that you've got the game under wraps uh, when you've been burnt so many times? Yeah, no, it was, it was probably about halfway through the last quarter when I saw the first few Carlton fans leaving. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> that they did look cooked at that point. So, um, but despite the fact we were behind at times, you, unlike other years, I didn't feel as much of oh, here we go, we're, we're going, yeah. we're not showing up today, that sort of thing. It, it never had that feeling, um, but. Always felt like, yeah, we're, we're, no, we're definitely still in this. We're we're not gonna just mm. fall over here. So it wasn't ever any stage of oh, we're we're gone. But it was got to a point about yeah, halfway through the last quarter, going, yep, they're gone, they're done. Yep, it certainly felt that way. Dave Calland asking if um, we can foresee Mateus Filippo uh, getting rested at some point, possibly, it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when that would be, whether it be an interstate trip or depends how the legs are feeling. Um, a Billings return. Get to the mid-season buy. A yeah, Billings return yeah. could be a week, you know, similar. Potentially, yeah. I mean, not similar players, but play a similar role and high half forward, can have a run through the middle, can push deep and, and hit the scoreboard. Um, mm. That's assuming Billings is fit and ready to go, obviously, but yeah. you know, it yeah. could be a, a, a managed week, like you said, and, and bring someone like Billings in that week. And look, he may not need one. That's you right. Know, yeah. He's a pretty infectious kid. Yeah. He might just no, keep he, going, he, he get to the mid-season guy, and then <laughs> exactly. And um, you know, he almost took mark of the century on uh, Sunday in that second quarter, which his, is um, pretty his exciting. Little, his yeah. little spins are pretty impressive. The way that he gets oh, in yeah. traffic and um, can 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 kind mm. of break a tackle just by taking a couple of steps and um, and spin and, and still have the awareness. I mean, that would have been a, a magnificent goal if he, if he'd kicked that. Yeah, like the one the week before, the week before against Collingwood, yeah, which yeah. would have been yeah, it's, unbelievable. I'm t- thinking back the other way, yeah. he could be the he could be the one player Ross would be scared of dropping. I mean, I reckon he could get pretty angry <laughs> if he, he does gets dropped. So I don't think he, he really wouldn't take it well. I don't think. It probably feels like it's good to have him around. He's infectious and and that type of thing. Uh, Jared asking if Caminiti or King and Membry can play in the same team together, and he assumes Cordy drops out. Um, well, certainly two of them can, like King and Membry or Caminiti and Membry or whatever it may be, but probably all three. I mean, but last year we played Marshall, Ryder, King, sometimes Hayes as well with Membry. So you could, um, as whether it changes the structure or not, I don't know, but you could certainly play at least two of them. Yeah, um, yeah Marshall Mateus asked a similar yeah. question to that well, as well. I was discussing with a couple of our other mates at the game. I was um, mm. saying I'd love to see... King actually played further up the field. I, I reckon mm. that could be the answer. Um, I reckon he his movement around the ground could be dominating. Just just up on like taking the ball on the wing and getting that run because he's got the pace. He's got the the um, skills with the ball at, the, at his feet and the big mark on the wing. I mean, there's not many players that are going to be able to go with him. Um, and it could be a real weapon we could have. So I, I'd really like to see him move up the ground a bit, um, get him into the game, into a couple of games early maybe, and um, start him at full forward until he's back and ready to go, and then make the shift. Because I, I reckon that could be a real weapon we could bring out. 
He's he's only played a, a couple of games, but Caminiti, I feel like, can play with mm. almost anyone. I, I feel like we saw him in that Essendon practice game kind of roam up the wing, take a couple of massive marks kind of on the lead. He's done it a little bit for us um, in, in the first month of the season, uh, but he's pretty agile and, and flexible. And he was a former midfielder that shot up late. Uh, you know, he, he can move across the ground pretty well. He's a pretty good kick and, and obviously he presents really, really nicely and, and hits the contest, hits the ball really hard. So I feel like he could be an option to move up the ground as well and, and kind of play that, that kind of link link up high half forward type role as well um, with memory, with King, depending on what, you know, what the structures are, who the defenders are. But the, the concept, having seen what Caminiti can do over this early part of the season, the, the, uh, the thought of him playing on a third or fourth best defender rather than the best defender each week um, it is pretty it's pretty appetising. Depends on his parole conditions. He might not be allowed <laughs> to leave 50 well, once, they, once they release him, but we'll see. Um, Richard, uh, heaping praise on our coaching staff and Luke mentioning Ross doing that with every presser, which he does do, um, obviously praising Enright, Harvey and Hayes, who have done a tremendous job and continue to be really important. Uh, Nomad Cram says, Friday night footy in the eyes of the country didn't work out so well for us last year. Are you confident this team is different and can take its chance on the big stage? Yes, would be my answer. Also, Parko had the hope we'd be 3-3 three and three by now. What's the expectation for the next six? Have they changed? Yeah, I think the expectations definitely change. Um, as for what they are exactly, I don't know, but it feels like it's a sustainable game plan. They've certainly exceeded my expectations, and I guess that's the, the point I was trying to make earlier. It just feels different. It feels like we're ready for this and that we'll, we'll handle it, whatever happens, from my view. The the Friday night thing and, and whether we're confident that this team is different, I think it's kind of 50-50. I mean, yes, you're confident this team is different, but I remember kind of maybe not this week, but uh, I, I feel like last year we had the conversation where, you know, we'd come back from a couple of deficits late, you know, second half, third quarters, early in the last quarter and run teams off their feet. And we kind of went, you know, we can, we might actually be able to trust this team now and it turned out that we couldn't. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so there, there's a bit of that, you know, we talk about scarring and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, that that's still there in the in the back of my mind, but it certainly does feel different. It's a much more structured, accountable game plan. Everyone knows their role. Um, like we said at the top H, it doesn't matter if it's Sinclair off half back or in the middle. It doesn't matter if it's Wanganin Miller off half back or Brad Hill on the wing. Or like everyone knows what they're meant to do. Doesn't matter if Ross moves the magnets at halftime or or whatever. Everyone plays their role, whatever that is. They understand what their role is at at any given point. So in that regard. I'm a lot more confident this team is different. Um, in terms of the expectation for the the next six, I mean, you know, we talked about would have been happy that, that you know we might be three and three after six. Looking at the the fixture over the next couple of weeks, I mean, you have to think that the expectation is kind of eight and one, nine and one, mm. you know, over the next the next month or so, um, given the 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 fixtures and and the schedule that you know this next month is essentially incredibly winnable. Um, and, mm. and that's got to be the goal now, is just to win every game. Yep. It's, a, it's not a bad draw from here. And obviously, you've got to turn this momentum with players coming back into something meaningful. It feels sustainable. Uh, let's tick off another uh, another challenge this week in, in Port Adelaide and, and then regroup. Let's get to 6-1, and one, which we should have done 12 months ago and prove how much we have matured as a group and can immediately reap the benefits of not selling a home game. Friday night lights and a big opportunity. Uh, it's great to be back on board. Big thank you to Gordon Fode for joining us earlier on as well. And you can 
catch all of our episodes online where you'll catch your podcast. Go Saints, and we'll see you at Marvel.